So let me pray before we start, as we consider God's Word. Father God, thank you so much. Lord, thank you that you have included us, that you have given us a part. Lord, that you have brought us in and that we get to participate in what you are doing, Father. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in us, Lord. I pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that this morning that your word would be clear to us. Lord, that your spirit would uh, interpret it for us, it would illuminate it, Lord, and it would, uh, it would transform our hearts. God, please, you speak this morning, Lord. Lord, you speak what we need to hear. Lord, we are here, we are before you. Lord, and I pray that we would come vulnerable before your word and allow you to work on us. Lord, please, through your spirit that lives in us, that abides in us, Lord, that you would transform us. Lord, help us to love you more as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to go through verse 9 through verse 14. Okay, that's where we're going to be. And as verse 9 starts out, it says, and so. All right, literally it means because of this. Because of everything that we talked about last week. Because of this news that Paul had heard about the church in Colossae that had come to him from Epaphras. Remember, Paul had never been to this church, but he had heard from Epaphras as he was in prison in Rome. And Epaphras had told him about this church. He had told him about their faith in Jesus Christ. He had told him about their love for all the saints. And we talked about that, that they were gospel-oriented. Everything around their life was oriented around the gospel. And so as he starts chapter, or verse 9, he's saying, because of all this, because you are gospel-oriented. And we talked about those three things. Because you are living in the gospel. Because you are finding your identity completely in the gospel. You First and foremost, the biggest thing about you, the most important thing about you, is who you are with, that you identify yourself with Jesus Christ. And then also, secondly, that you would, they were learning from the gospel. That all wisdom, that all knowledge was found in Christ. They didn't need anything outside of Christ. And it even said in one of the verses, I think verse 8, it talked about, and you have learned this, you've learned this gospel from Epaphras. Remember, we talked about it. It wasn't just that they had heard it. It wasn't that they could repeat it back. But they were actually practicing it. They were proclaiming it. They were demonstrating it. It was a part of their life. Remember we talked about all the different ways to learn and how they need to actually participate and be a part. So they were living in the gospel, they were learning from the gospel, and then lastly they were loving through the gospel. I talked about that. They were loving God and they were loving their neighbor. And then Paul sums it up in verse 8 and says, this is love in the spirit. This is spirit-filled love. And the fruit of this being gospel-oriented was what? It was this love. We talked about the fruit of being gospel-oriented is love. They would love God and they would love their, love their brothers and sisters. But fruit, it doesn't come overnight. If you guys have a fruit tree, I never knew that fruit trees existed in yards until I came to California. But there are like fruit trees here with oranges, with lemons, with grapefruits. But it doesn't come overnight. And just the same way with the gospel... It's a process of maturation. It's a process of growing in us. We come to this gospel and we get gospel-oriented and then God starts to work in us. God starts to grow us and this fruit produces in us. But it doesn't happen 
immediately. But we have to participate in this process. We're gospel-oriented, but there's also a process that God takes us through as He grows us and as He matures us and as He produces fruit through us. And so that's what we're going to look at is this gospel process today. And if you guys remember, in verse 6 last week, he's like, this gospel that's come to you, he said that it's, as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and it's increasing, just like it does in you. That's the process, that it would bear fruit, that it would increase, that it would grow and that it would mature. And it's doing that in t- throughout the entire creation. It's doing that throughout the cosmos. And it's also doing that in your heart. And so that's what Paul wants to see continue to happen in this church in Colossae. So what is the process? What does it look like? And how do we participate in that? That's what we're going to learn today as we go through verse 9 through 14, is understanding that gospel process and understanding how do we participate in that. What's our role? All right, so I'm going to read verse 9 through 14. I'll read that first in English, and then Grace will read it in Spanish. Chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's a process or there's a cycle that we go through as we are in the gospel, as we participate in the gospel. And a cycle, it's a repeated, a repeated series of events or actions. They happen once and they go through the cycle and they happen again. And so what I want to show you guys next is this picture... This is a water cycle. Alright? The water cycle. And if you have kids that have gone through elementary school, you learned about the water cycle. And you had to make posters about the water cycle. They weren't this in-depth. And don't get lost with all the words. (laughs) And I was going to have it translated, but we can't understand these words in English anyway. Alright? But basically, here's the water. The water goes through this process of evaporation, right? It turns from liquid, it goes into vapor, it goes up into the air, it collects into clouds, and it condenses in these clouds, and it becomes more of a liquid. And as it changes into this liquid, it becomes so heavy after, it, after the condensation that it starts precipitation. It starts to fall back to the earth. Right? When it falls back to the earth, it collects in the rivers and the waters and, and the, the streams and the lakes and down to the ocean, and then it goes back through this process of evaporation. But what I didn't know as I looked at this is the sun outside of this process is what makes it all go round and round and round. The sun actually heats up the water and starts this process and it goes through. The sun continues to heat the water and it continues to go through that process. And so I want us to think about, with that in mind, what is the gospel process, what is the gospel cycle that we're going through? And the first is our part. I don't mean our part. I mean that God gives us a part. Okay? 
that he would give us a part, that he would bring us into this gospel process, right? We talked about before last week that the gospel came to them, that Jesus Christ came to earth, right? He came pursuing us to rescue us. We didn't step in. God brought us in. So God brings us in and gives us a part in this gospel process. And then it starts to take place. We go through this cycle. Another part, God also, He gives us or fills us with knowledge. We'll see part of this process is He fills us with knowledge. And then the process continues. And then He what? He gives us power. He strengthens us with power. So here are the three pieces. God brings us in. He gives us our part. All right. He fills us with knowledge. We'll talk about that. Knowledge of His will. And then later He strengthens us with power. Now there's also some other pieces within that. Okay. So after our part that He brings us into, then we respond with thanksgiving. Because we're brought in, we respond with thanksgiving. Responding with thanksgiving, He fills us with knowledge. As He fills us with knowledge, then we walk. He then strengthens us with power so that we can endure. So this is what, the best that I can draw it, in Spanish and English, what this gospel process that we're going to talk about today looks like. God brings us in. He gives us our part. We respond in thanksgiving. He fills us with knowledge. As we're filled with knowledge, we walk in a way that's honoring to Him. And He gives us power to continue to endure, to walk in that way. And again, we look back at our part and we're thankful He brings us in and He fills us with knowledge. And we continue to go through that process as we walk in the gospel, as we walk with the Lord. Everybody with me? And through the gospel, we're filled with knowledge to understand. And we're strengthened with all power to continue. To live this gospel-oriented life that we talked about last week with thanksgiving. So we're going to walk through and talk about those different areas, those different parts of that process. So the first, he's given us a part. He's brought us in to participate. If you look actually at the end of the passage in verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It says that He's given us an inheritance, right? He's brought us in and He's given us this inheritance. We will have an inheritance as His children. This is an inheritance that the Father has given to us. And in this passage, it's talking about that hope laid up for us. It's talking about the Gospel. It's talking about that we have this inheritance that waits for us in Heaven, that where everything will be fully realized, where God will restore all things, where our relationship with Him will be fully restored, our relationship with each other will be fully restored, and our relationship with the creation will be fully restored. That's this hope that we have. That's this inheritance that we look to. But realize that it says that He has qualified you. It literally means that He is completely sufficient to bring you into this process. You didn't do anything. He did everything. He's fully sufficient. You didn't participate. He's brought you in. It's by God's grace that we're a part of this process. And I had to stop as I'm studying this. Like, do I get that? 
I mean, do we really get that? Do we get that on a daily basis? That God was completely sufficient. That God did that for us. That God came and brought us into this process. And that we get to be a part of that. I mean, do we, do we stop and do we think about that when the, when, the, when the alarm goes off and we roll out of bed and we get in the shower? Do we think about that God has brought me into this process of what He's doing in the world, of what He's doing in all the creation? That would change us if we thought about that because He has come on a rescue mission for us. Right? It says He came and He literally transferred us. He takes us, He delivered us, He takes us out of this domain of darkness and He takes us and lifts us up and sets us down in this kingdom of light. It says He removed us from this one place and He takes us and He puts us in the kingdom of light, in this kingdom of His Son. Alright, we were hostages, we were held, there was no way out. We were there, we were helpless, and yet He came in and He took us out. And I don't want us to think that He negotiated us out. He didn't go and He didn't make negotiations as to, well, I'll give you this if you'll give me this one and we'll, we'll work this out from, a, from afar. Right? He came on a rescue mission Himself. He went in behind enemy lines. He came down amongst us and He rescued us and He put us on His shoulder and took us out. And in taking us out, He gave His life. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's what it looks like. Okay? He didn't negotiate His way out. He rescued us out of this domain of darkness. He transferred us and He placed us in this kingdom of light. And I think about that for my own life. And sometimes I don't get it. Karina and I were talking a couple weeks ago, like, okay, God, if, I, if I'm really going to follow Christ, what would look different in my life? And we're talking through that and what needs to change in her heart. But sometimes I'm like, well, what, what, really, what really would look different? And I think about Larry. And I think about what I knew Larry before. I knew Larry when he was in this domain of darkness. And now I see Larry after he's been transferred to this kingdom of light. I see this dramatic, uh, drastic change in his life, right? It's easy to see. It was very visible. Larry was on the streets. Larry was here and there. Larry was dealing drugs. Larry was doing drugs. Larry was hustling money. Larry had all these things. He was completely in this kingdom of darkness, this domain of darkness, and now he's been transferred over. And so I can see that. It's very visible. As I said, it's dramatic. And I don't think that we believe sometimes when we think about our own lives, because we start to justify and I start to think about well, what I went through, even Larry can say, well, let me tell you about how I ended up in that place and it was very easy to understand how I got there. But we think through our own lives like, really, was I in this domain of darkness? Was that where I was? Was that what God took me from? And so I want to show you guys, Robert, if you'll grab that one, and then Val. This is what we were in. We were in darkness. We were in this domain of darkness. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what you've done. This was what you were in. You were in a domain of darkness. And we have to realize that, that we are more sinful than we ever imagined. Right? That our sin is serious and God is a holy God and it separates us from Him. And we were in, we were hostages in this domain of darkness. But we have to also understand that God loved us God loved us more than we can imagine, and He's brought us into this kingdom of light. Alright? He turned the lights on. He transferred us. Do we get that? Do we realize that's where we were? And do we realize this is where God has brought us? He has transferred us. 
And the more that we realize the darkness that he brought us from, the more thankful we will be. Right? It's in direct correlation. As grace increases, Second Corinthians says, so also thanksgiving increases. You can see in scriptures is that those who were forgiven much, they're able to love much. Okay? And if we understand the darkness that we were in, then we would be thankful about this kingdom of light that God has picked us up and transferred us into. And so we need to consider that. We need to think through that. And if we did, then we would respond in thanks. We would get to this place. We'd realize He's brought us in. He's given us a part. And now we would respond in thanksgiving. Look at verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has done all these things. That we would actually get to the point where we would give thanks continually. That we get to participate in this process. Why aren't we thankful? Why do I go throughout most of my day and I'm not thankful? And I think it's that I think I deserve more. I know that I needed God. I'm thankful for the grace He gave me and He's transferred me into this kingdom of light. But as I go through this process now, I don't really think that I necessarily continue to need that. And I'm pretty much entitled. That sounds awful, but that's what I think. I, had to, I mean, look, that's what I think. Like, I'm so thankful, God, you brought me in, but now I'm entitled to it. I'm your son. I've got this inheritance. I mean, go ahead and give it to me now. Let me experience it fully now. And I'm entitled. We came home, or I came home Tuesday evening from work. Anita and the girls got home at the same time. We were coming up the stairs. And Ron is on our daybed, head on the pillow. He and Mark are there. They're watching a movie. And Ron is just like laying there like he's had the best time in his life. He's, in a sense, as you walk in, you can just see on his face that he's just boasting. He wants to tell you what he's been doing, right? He's like, I've been out with Mark. Yeah, we've been, you know, we, we, we did discipleship. We've been reading the Bible. And we went to in and out mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's laying there on the bed. And, you know, it's 6.30 and we're all hungry. Yeah, in and out was good. And he's telling us about it, and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged what's happening. He's enjoying that time with Mark, and he's learning from that time with Mark. But then it's 6.30, it's 7, and we realize, based in my house, logistics. Okay, we eat based on logistics, and so sometimes logistics means that you go and get a burger because there's just not time for dinner. And so Larry, and myself, and Andy, and Karina, and Mariana, and Annalise go to In-N-Out. And I say, we're going to in and out Oran says, what? You're going to in and out He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, I want to go. No, you already ate. You just ate. The burger's still in your stomach. He's like, but that is so wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, that you guys are going to in and out I'm like, didn't you just come from in and out And weren't you just telling us about what an incredible experience was? Yeah, but... Ah, but I should be able to go with you guys. Is that what we do? <laughs> Is that what we do with the Lord? We look around, we look at others, we walk through this process. I'm like, man, no, I, I deserve more. Although I was so thankful, I was so encouraged by what God had done, how He had brought me in, how He had given me this part. I had gotten to participate. But now I just want more. And I see other things. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this. And God, shouldn't you give that to me? 
Instead of just being thankful, what more do we want than for God to rescue us and for God to bring us in and be a part of His story? What more do we want? What more do we need to be thankful for? We shouldn't need anything else. We shouldn't be entitled. We should be thankful. And so think about that. Are you living with that mindset? That God still owes you something. Because God doesn't owe us anything. And that we should be thankful for this amazing thing that He's done and how He's rescued us and how He's brought us in. How He transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. We should be thankful without stop. And I honestly, that's not what my day looks like. That's not what my week always looks like. But just as God brought us in, now He provides us with knowledge and power to walk and to endure. Alright, we're not on our own. After He brings us in, then He starts to fill us. Okay? He starts to fill us with knowledge. If you look at the middle of verse 9, it says they're asking all these things. They're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He fills us with the knowledge of His will. And notice that it says, with all spiritual understanding. According to the Spirit. Okay, He gives us spiritual knowledge. And I don't mean that, that it's this otherworldly... He gives us knowledge according to Him. Okay, He doesn't give us knowledge about everything, about everything that's going to happen, about everything that's going on, but He gives us knowledge according to Him. We can know Him, and we can know Him in an intimate way. He's like, I will reveal Myself to you. I'll give you knowledge according to Myself. You can have a relationship with Me, and it can be intimate. I will make Myself fully known to you. I will fill you with knowledge of my will, of myself. And do we know God that way? If you guys have lived with anybody, been married with anybody for a long period of time, they start to know everything you're going to do. And if you're a man, they know it before you know it. All right? Nita knows what I'm about to say, what I'm about to ask for, what I'm about to do before I do it. And now that skill is transferring to my daughter. Somehow, at 12 years old, she's gotten this new skill where she knows what I'm about to do and what I'm about to say and how when I'm going to ask for something, Papi, just go ahead and ask me. Papi, you're about to go get ice cream, aren't you? Well, that's a good idea. I think I'll go get ice cream. But they know me, okay? They know me in some ways better than I know myself. It's an intimate knowledge, and that's what God wants to give to us. He says, I want to give you knowledge of my will that you would know me intimately. And so I ask you guys, are we seeking that? Are we going to God? Are we spending time with Him so that we can know Him more intimately? So that we can have this relationship with Him, that He can make Himself known to us, that we would spend time with Him. How are we going to know about Him if we don't spend time with Him? How are we going to know about Him if we don't read His Word to us? We just can't. We can't know Him. The way that we're filled with this knowledge is that God would give us a spiritual knowledge of who He is through His Word as we spend time with Him. And we can know Him in an intimate way. But like I said, it's not all knowledge. I don't want you guys to walk away thinking that God's going to give you all knowledge about all things. Alright? That's not how God works. He says, I'll give you the information you need about me when you need to know it. 
for the moment you need to use it according to my will. I'm going to give you my knowledge about me when you need it according to how you're going to use it so that my will can be accomplished. He says, so that. Okay, all this knowledge that he's given us is so that, verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I'm going to give you all this intimate knowledge of my will, of who I am, so that you can walk in a way that's worthy of me. Not so that you can know everything about everything, and you can know everything about your life, and you can know the trajectory of your future, and what's going to happen, and what God is going to do, so that you can know how to walk with me in a way that's fully pleasing. That's the will. That's the knowledge that He'll give us, is that we can walk in that way, a way that's suitable, a way that's worthy of Him. But realize that it's to walk. I think that's important. All right? When we walk, it's one step at a time. When we walk, it's one day at a time. Okay? God gives us enough for today to walk with Him in a way that's pleasing. One day at a time. One moment at a time. God says, I will fill you with knowledge of my will so that you can walk in that. And I would tell you that's a biblical experience. You look at Abraham, God says, I'm going to take you to this place that I will show you. Now go. All right? He didn't give him all the information he needed, what he was going to do. He said, I will take you to a place. Now go. I'll show you later. He says to Moses, you want words? I'll give you words to speak when the time comes. You'll have the words that you need. I will provide them. I, you don't need to think about it now. Trust me and I'll give them to you. Paul in Ephesians, he says, I pray that God would give me these words so that I can proclaim the gospel. That at the moment he would give that, he, he would supply that, that he would give me knowledge of his will and knowledge of how I need to respond and knowledge of how I need to speak and knowledge of how I need to act and that he would give that to me in the moment. And I would tell you that this has been my experience. All right? When we were a few, a few years married, we were deciding, God, what do you want to do with our lives? And we were thinking about school. We were thinking about seminary. I'd been to school. I didn't want to go back to school. But I wanted to serve God. But I spent several days. I went out on my own. And I, I sought the Lord. I like, Lord, I need you to show me if we are supposed to go to school. If we're supposed to go from Atlanta to Chicago to a place where we know no one. And I'm supposed to do this and seek to be educated and, and to be knowledgeable about you. To learn more about your word so that I can serve you. And I came back after three days by myself in the woods, talking to the Lord, no one else. And I remember coming back and Nita just wanted to, she was like, so, so, so what did he tell you? And I think she had, you know, she wanted to hear this grand plan that God had for our lives. What, what did he show you? What's it going to look like? How is that going to happen? I'm like, uh, we're supposed to go to Chicago. I'm going to go to Moody. But, but what for? What are you going to stay? What are you going to do? And what's that going to result in? And then what's going to come after that? And how long are we going to be there? And where are we going to go to church when we're there? And how are all these things going to happen? And, and who are we going to participate with? And where is that going to mean that we end up? Are we going to go to the mission field? Are we going to be in a, a, a central or southern, South American country? Are you going to learn to speak Spanish? Are we going to have more kids? We had one. Are we going to have more? No, we're going to go to Moody. We're going to move. That's it. That's all I know. So let's go. When we got ready to come here, I had no idea what was going to happen. I said, I think we're supposed to move to Los Angeles. Right? We had this opportunity for a relationship with Cornerstone. Okay, we're just going to go. 
I don't know what it's going to look like. I had no idea. I had no thoughts about Livingstone, that we'd be in a, a warehouse next to the park, gathering as a body and trying to love on this neighborhood. But God clearly showed me, here's the step. Here's my will. I want you to walk in it. I want you to take this step, and I want you to move. I'll give you full knowledge to take this step that's before you. And so I want you guys to think about your life. I want you to think about even a situation where you might have sought God's will. And you're seeking God's will. And I want to know God's will. God will show you His will for this moment. He'll show you His will for right now. And then you can trust Him and you can walk in that. He will give you the knowledge to do that. And we can know that we're doing that. We can know that we're walking in His will. If we, it shows after that, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. And we're increasing in the knowledge of God. So it says we're walking this way, worthy of Him, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what it looks like to walk in His will. It's the same thing that Paul had been talking about in verse 6. This is what happens when the gospel comes in and you get oriented to the gospel. The gospel in your life and in the entire cosmos, the entire creation is doing this. It's maturing, it's growing, and it's producing fruit. And he says, that's what it's going to look like when you walk in God's will. That's what it's going to look like when you're filled with His knowledge, when you are living in a way, in a, wor- in a manner worthy of Him. It's not elusive. It's not mysterious. All right? God is going to bring you to a place, and I want to just share this with you guys, that always, 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 God's will is for you to love Him more, and God's will is for you to love others more. And if you think that God is taking you into a direction or taking you into a place where you're not loving Him more or you're not loving others more, it is not His will for you. All right. God's will is that you would grow and mature and produce fruit. And remember that fruit is love. That fruit is love in these relationships with Him and these relationships with others. And it would produce fruit of love. So as you seek His will, as you think about this, this will He has for your life and this decision you're trying to make, is He leading you to love? To love Him more, to love others more. That we should have that in our grid as we process through, as we seek to follow God, as He gives us this knowledge. It's one thing to have this knowledge, to be at this place, where we have this knowledge of His will, and we begin to walk. It's easy to start. It's easy to take that first step sometimes. But then to continue to walk, and to endure in our walking, and to continue on this path, and continue to trust Him, that's a whole other story. But that's why He comes and He gives us power. All right? He's given us this knowledge of the power to walk. Now He gives us power to continue to walk. Look at verse 11. It says that you may be strengthened with all power according to His glorious mind. So just like He's given us access to all knowledge of His will, we also have access to all power to walk in His will. Okay? It means that that power is according to His might. It's, it's down through Him. It's according to Him. It's strength. It's power that He has given from Himself to us that we can walk in a way that's worthy of Him. So, usually I'm not that thankful. But then I realize I don't ask for much power. I don't stop and say, God, I need you to strengthen me. I need your power or I cannot continue on. 
We don't like to admit that. Right? We know that in our heads that we needed God to completely come in and we needed His power to save us. Right? But we don't think on a day-by-day basis that I really, truly have to have Him dependent on His power to continue. But we are. He says, you've got to. I'm going to give you. I'm going to strengthen you with all power so you can walk in my will. And we have to have that perspective. So I'm not going to tell this story right. And I won't tell it in detail. But Ernesto told me about getting lost last week. I think it was last Friday. He had gone from the valley. was going through the city, going to Long Beach. And he knew when he got to the 110, he had to go east or west. He couldn't remember, but he knew he was going to take the 110 and go down to the 610, I think, as he went to Long Beach. But he got to the 110, and right before he got to the 110, his phone died, and so his GPS died. Does he tell Renee this? No. He's driving the car. He has his wife. He has his son in the car. He says, you know what? It's either one way or the other, and I think I know how to go. So he gets on the 110, and he starts going in a certain direction. After a little bit, he realizes, I think I went the wrong way. And then he realizes, I should probably actually stop and get help. I should actually stop and get directions, but we don't get directions anymore. We go and we buy a power cord so we can power back up our phone to get the GPS to work again. Because it's a lot easier to buy a power cord than it is to ask directions. So Ernesto gets off the interstate. He goes to the first place he sees. He goes into this liquor store. And as he walks into the liquor store, he realizes that there are these people staring at him, looking at him. As he walks into the store, this guy approaches him and asks him if he wants to buy anything. This is outside the store, right? He wanted to buy some, not, not the liquor that was in the store, but some stuff that the store wasn't selling. <laughs> he's like, no, no, I'm good, no, I'm good. And then while he's in the store, someone comes up to him and says, do you have anything that I can buy? He's like, uh, no, no, I'm good. And then he realizes that all these people are staring at him, and here he is, and he's got on, you know, Ernesto, and he's got on a big yellow bandana, and he's like, maybe I shouldn't have on this yellow bandana as he starts to take, um, you know, as he starts to understand his environment and where he's at. He takes his bandana off. He puts it in his pocket. He purchases the power cord. And he said that he kind of he walked out as fast as he could, right? <laughs> He gets in his car and turns the keys on and gets on the interstate. He plugs in his phone and he looks and it shows a little blinking blue dot and he was right in Compton. With his yellow bandana on, people were staring at him. What are you doing? So my point is not that Ernesto is unique. And for all the men that were laughing, not that we're unique. We think we know. We think we know the way. We think we have the power to fix it. We think we're going to figure it out. I may not know, but I'll figure it out as I go. And so I want to show you guys, this is a study that was done in 2010, and I found it on ABC News. And it says that the average male drives an extra 276 miles per year from being lost. The average male drives an extra 276 miles, all right, from being lost. Okay, Ernesto's not unique. And then when lost, 26% of men, one out of every four men, wait at least 30 minutes before asking directions. 
30 minutes. I'm completely lost. I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm going to try and figure it out. And 30 minutes later, I'll stop and I'll ask directions. Right? That's insane. 12% of men refuse to ask for directions at all. All right? So that's one out of every four asked after 30 minutes. This is, a, you know, more of these guys, 12% of them don't even ask. It sounds insane, right? I mean, what are, what are we thinking? Or what are the guys thinking? And then last, here's Ernesto. 41% of men have pretended they knew where they were going when they were actually lost. But this is scientific proof. All right? This is, this is ABC News. This is online, a study done in 2010. 41% of men have pretended they knew where they were, where they were going when they were actually lost. Is that what we do with God? Thanks God, I've got this. Do I need your power? No. Do I know where I'm going? Yes. Does it, is it starting to look a little strange? I'm losing my bearings. I'm losing my orientation. I'm not really sure where I'm at now, but I'll find my way. I'll come to you when I need you. Just wait. I don't necessarily need you to intervene right now. I'll find my way out of this. I'm not lost. I'll find my way. Is that what we do? Is that what you do? Does it take you getting into a point where you're completely lost? Where you're in a dangerous situation where you have no other options and you have no idea what to do until we go to God and say, God, I need your power to walk in your will. I can't do this on my own. I'm completely lost. If you don't show up, if you don't give me your strength. And so we should go to God and we should ask for that strength. And I do, I think that's one of our biggest issues as we follow Christ. I know it's one of my biggest issues. I can figure this out. I can make it logical. I can decide what steps are next. And usually the times that I see that I have, have, have held God off are the times when I am on my knees, when I am broken down, when I get to the place where I am burnt out. Because I've continued to do this in my own strength. I've continued to find my own way. And I haven't allowed God to strengthen me. I haven't allowed God to give me direction, to give me that power. We have to go to Him. We have to be willing to admit that. And if we receive that power, then we will continue, will endure with all patience, with all joy. What would that look like for us to continue to endure with all patience and with all joy? I can endure. I can sometimes endure on my own. But you can ask my wife, you can ask my kids, it's not with joy. If God strengthened me, it's with joy. If I'm strengthening myself, there's no joy. God wants to give us power that will result in us enduring with joy. That we can continue in His will with joy. That's how we continue in our marriages. That's how we continue in our families. That's how we continue in these relationships in the church. That's how we continue in relationships in this neighborhood. Is with His strength. All right? With His strength, we can continue to do that with joy. When you realize that you're not interacting with each other, that you're not interacting with the Lord, that you're not interacting with our neighbors in a way that is enduring with joy, you need to go back and you need to ask God to give you strength. Only He can give you strength that will result in joy. So we have to admit our needs. We have to get over ourselves and ask for help. So as you look at this process, 
You look at this cycle. All right, through the gospel, we're filled with all knowledge to understand and be strengthened with all power to continue to live in a gospel-oriented life with thanksgiving. Now, as I finish, I want to show you guys what I think is an amazing diagram. This is going to change your life. But I want to show this entire process in a way that hopefully is more understandable. What's that right there? So it's a bicycle. How does that word end? Cycle, right? On a bicycle, do you go through the same motions repeatedly over and over? But do you stay in the same spot? Do you, or you do you just do you go in circles? No, right? You continue through that cycle, but that going through that cycle, it moves you. You go in a certain direction. You take off. And I think this is what this gospel cycle, this gospel process looks like. If you look back here, this is our seat, right? This is our part. God has given us a place. We get to participate. We have a seat. We have a part that we get to be in this process, this gospel process in our life. And we have these pedals. As we come in, He gives us a part. We push on these pedals of thanksgiving. Right? I'm so thankful that I get to be a part. And I start to push on these pedals in response to this thanksgiving and everything starts to move. And as everything starts to move, I receive His power, right? The chain is moving and it starts to power the back and this power moves forward and I start to move in His direction and then He's given me this knowledge so I have these handlebars so that I can steer and I can turn and I can go in the direction according to His will. And the frame, everything here, this is the Gospel, alright? Without the frame, it all falls apart. Without the frame, we go nowhere. But God brings us in. He gives us a part. As we respond with thanksgiving and pedal, we have power and we have knowledge to steer and to go in a manner that's worthy of Him. So, do you guys remember your first bike? I remember my first bike. It was green. It was shiny. It had a big black banana seat and it had a flag on the back that was orange. And I remember seeing it sitting out of the tree. And I was so excited. I have a bike. I have a bike that I'm going to get to ride. And then, by the time Christmas morning was over, I was a little bit nervous. You mean I'm going to have to ride this bike? I don't know how to ride a bike. I've got a bike. That's an amazing thing, but I don't know how to ride it. And then if you think about trying to ride a bike, if you have kids and you've tried to teach them. And I remember being out in the cold a second. I remember holding on to this back. I remember trying to teach Oran and Karina and Mariana how to ride. And you start to explain it to them. And the more you explain, the more confused they get. There's so many things to think about. Okay, so when you get on, you need to put this pedal of your right foot. It needs to be up high where you can push down to start with that. And as you do that, then you have to continue to pedal with the other side. Okay, you can't just pedal with one foot, you pedal with both feet. But then as you do that, you want to pedal fast enough where it's enough momentum that you don't just fall over, but it's not too much momentum that you run into the curb. 
and then you send them off on their way and then you remember that you forgot to tell them how to steer and they run into the curb and they fall over cry and go inside but there's so many things to think about there's so many things as we tell them that and I think that's what it feels like to us sometimes that we would be in this gospel process there's so many things so many components so many things going on and we just get overwhelmed by it and so instead of getting on this bike to be a part of this that God has given us we just wait but God wants us to get on and take our seat (laughs) right no matter how much how difficult it is right that we would ride he wants us to ride even if your bike is purple and pink all right he's brought us in we get to participate that's amazing right we should respond with thanksgiving and he'll give us the power he'll give us the knowledge that we can continue in that and that we can endure and that he would be honored and so as you look at that the one thing I didn't talk about is probably the most important thing and that's balance balance is something that's required for every part of riding a bike and as you look at this passage I think there's one thing that I haven't talked about that I think is just as important as that If you look back at verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Since the day we heard that you were gospel-oriented, we have not ceased to pray for you so that you can be a part of this process. That you would be thankful of your part, that you would be filled with power, that you'd be strengthened. I mean, you'd be filled with knowledge, you'd be strengthened with power. We have not ceased to pray for you. It's constantly required. This conversation with God, this going to God, they were requesting that they would have all these things, requesting that they would be this way, requesting that they would respond this way. And I think sometimes we go through this and we forget about that, right? It becomes second nature. Like the balance, we don't think about it, but we are supposed to pray without ceasing that God would do this in us. And we can try to do all this, we can understand all this, but if we don't pray without ceasing, it won't happen. And I've been experienced this week, Josh and Trent and I, as we met on Tuesday night, we've been talking about, okay, we've got to pray, we're going to pray first. And as you go through it, it is just not natural to stop and to pray. And everything will get in the way. People will knock on your door. Situations will come up. I think that the, guy, the enemy does not want us to pray. He wants us to dismiss that opportunity. But we have to stop and we have to pray. But then it says also that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Right? How do we do that? And I just want to encourage you guys that we can talk to God consistently, constantly, without ceasing. Right? We take these times and we stop everything else and we focus on praying. But as we go about, as we go through this process, that we would continue to pray, we continue to ask God, we would continue to talk with Him. And then at times we would stop and we'd have this formal time where we go before Him and we just focus on Him and we just focus on praying. Right? Or where we come together as a group and we focus on praying. And those are important times of prayer, but yet we would do it without ceasing, continually going to Him, continually asking Him to do all of this in us. And so that's what I want us to do now. I want us to stop and I want us to pray. I want us to stop and I want us to thank God that He has brought us in, that He's given us a part, that we would ask God to fill us with the knowledge of His will and that we would ask God to strengthen us with power. Because if we don't stop and if we don't ask God and if we don't do that without ceasing, we're wasting our time. 